So the beginning of the year, I told you guys something. I told you guys that I believe that you will look completely different by the end of the year than you look at that moment. You guys remember that? And it was talking about spiritually as you grow and mature and that God's going to really do some stuff. And I still believe that that's going to happen this year. Uh, specifically, something else that God told me for this semester was that he gave me one word that I feel like is for us at 5979 and what I want us and what God wants us to do, and that is this boldness. I feel like God wants us to be bold in our faith and bold in our walk with him. That stuff is going to really happen as we, be, as we really get bold. And with all that, obviously, you guys are going back into school, and you're already back in school, and I really want to challenge you to be bold, bold in your faith and bold in your walk. As a matter of fact, I want to challenge you tonight to be bold as we're talking about a subject that for some of you guys is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You guys are back in school, and one of the things that you do in school is that you sit a lot, right? And hopefully you will learn something from the teachers that are teaching as you're sitting and writing things down. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about chairs tonight. And my question to you guys tonight is this, what chair are you sitting in? What chair are you sitting? And obviously you're like, well, I'm sitting in the chair that I'm, you know, currently in. I want to explain all this. And as you guys can tell, I've brought three different chairs with me. And each of them is... That's a stool. Thank, thank you. I appreciate the help. Good. All right, let's keep going. What is this? All right, very good. Okay, okay. Over here, what's this? All right, good. Awesome. All right, so this chair right here is going to be called our chair of commitment. Everybody say chair of commitment. Awesome. And we'll talk about what this means in just a second. Over here is the chair of conflict. Everybody say chair of conflict. Awesome. Over here, which is the really nice one, the one that probably most of you guys would pick, is the chair of compromise. Everybody say chair of compromise. And the question that I have for you guys is this, which of these three are you sitting in? And which of those threes do you want to sit in by the end of the service? Because I think there's quite a few of you guys that are not sitting over here. Maybe you are sitting over there, but maybe you're even sitting over here. And we're going to define every one of these chairs in just a moment. My goal tonight is to challenge you and to add some fuel to the fire if you're really already on fire in love with Jesus. But if you are not, I want to challenge you and make you uncomfortable. And I believe God's going to make you uncomfortable as the Holy Spirit will convict you tonight. Well, let's find out together which chair that we all are sitting in. Let me pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you for tonight. I pray that your anointing will be in this place. Holy Spirit, I declare my dependence upon you, and I ask that you would remove me from behind this pulpit, and that my words will be yours tonight, Jesus. Speak to us. Change our lives. In Jesus' name it is that we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that our society places a lot of values on chairs and seating arrangements? Yeah. I mean, aren't you glad you're currently sitting in a chair and not on the floor? Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I am. I'm glad that you guys are sitting. And if I was sitting, I'd be glad that I'm sitting, but obviously I'm uh, standing. But chairs are really important. We are all about chairs. We even play a game called musical chairs, right? Yeah. Which is an awesome game. And if you want to play, come to Marvel. Uh, we always play it there. So anyway... Um, Jesus even talked about chairs. He talked about seating arrangements with his disciples at one point where he talked about if you walk into a room, don't sit yourself up at the head of the table because maybe someone more distinguished than you will walk in and you will have to move to the back. So he talked about chairs, and since Jesus talked about chairs, I figured 
I can talk about chairs. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be talking about chairs tonight because chairs are super, super important. Think about it. Chairs are important in church. See, there's one person in here for sure that sits at the same spot every single week. And if you sit in that person's spot, I promise you that person's going to give you a look. Because we have our own seat, don't we, Charisma? See, Charisma always sits right here, and I'm really glad because I always know when Charisma is here. And, and Hannah really is over here, too. And I was telling them in junior high, if you ever come to senior high, if you move up, you know, don't sit over here because that is their seats. They paid for them. That, that's it. So we all have seats that we like, and we sometimes even fight over seats. And again, she'll probably give you a look if you sit in her seat, and that's okay. I would do the same thing. If you're sitting in the front row on my seat, I'm going to be looking over there and be like, dude, you better, better move because that's, that's my seat right there. Seats are important. I mean, think about it. At a, at a concert, you know, if you're actually seated at a concert, you want to have a good seat, right? right. At a basketball game, you want to have a good seat, right? Close up to a couple of years ago, my wife um, surprised me for my birthday. I'm a Mavericks fan, and they were playing against the Hawks, and so she got us some seats, and they were actually pretty decent seats, but they were still only like halfway there. And, you know, you want to have the best seat in the house because the closer you are to the game, you know, the more you can actually see and you don't have to look at the screen. So seats are really, really important. In school, I mean, we all have our assigned seating, don't we? My son just, no, we don't. Well, my son just got into first grade, and I, I brought him there, and we had, like, you know, meeting the teacher's day, whatever. And, man, his name is on the table. So it's like that is where you sit, and you can sit anywhere else at home. Don't you have assigned seating? Doesn't your dad have a certain area that you don't sit in? Is that only my house? Or you guys can sit wherever you want at the dinner table? No. no. See, there's a certain spot that you sit in, that your siblings sit in, that your mom sits in, and that your dad sits in, and you don't sit in that chair, right? And maybe there's even, maybe you have, you know, maybe your dad has that, that lazy recliner that only he can sit in. Anybody? No? Okay. My house must be, okay, we didn't have that either, but we did have assigned seating at, at dinner table, and you would not sit in that chair because it was my dad's chair. Now, in all my years of dealing with chairs, I've learned a couple of really important lessons. And these are life-changing lessons. So I want to give them to you guys tonight. So I want you guys to write these down because they are so important. You've got to just know this. Lesson number one is this about chairs. Not every chair is equal. That's amazing, right? I mean, not every chair is equal. Some are just better than others. I mean, none of these chairs, they're not equal. Some of them are better. If you had to sit on a chair for 20 hours, which one would you pick? The right? Chair. Why would you pick the rolling chair? Yeah. I would so sit in that one. So not every chair is different. Some chairs are just more quality and are better made, and then there's other chairs that are just strange, and then some people do really strange things with chairs as they try to sit on a chair. Let's check it out. All right, so we have a beanbag out there. Anybody want to take a, you want to do it? Any here? We can do it right now, so, all right. You ready for this? Are you sure? You have, to, you have to flip over a person. Okay. Without hurting the other, no, we won't do that because we don't have one, but it would have been fun. Um, so there are some chairs that are just better than others. Second lesson that I've learned is this. There's a price tag to every chair. There's a price tag to every chair. See, the, the game that my wife and I went to a couple of years ago, man, those seats were like $80 a seat. 
And that's, that's a lot of money when you're only like halfway there. And there's a price tag to every seat or chair that you're sitting in. In band or an orchestra, there is something that's called the first seat, right? And not everybody can sit in that chair. You have to actually really practice and be placed in that chair. So there's a price tag to that specific chair. Anybody ever before, been before a judge? Okay, yeah, in, in like a courtroom? Okay, hopefully not. Hopefully you will never have this. But if you ever go to court and you will have that judge sitting up there, he sits in a chair that no one else can sit in. See, there's a price tag to that chair that he sits in, isn't there? And that means lots of studying, lots of stuff that he did, and then he was allowed to be able to sit in that chair. Every chair has a price tag. The third thing that I learned is this, that for some chairs you pay up front, but for others you pay later. Some chairs in life that you sit in you can pay up right up front, and then others they just take a little longer, but you still have to end up paying, and we'll talk about those chairs in just a little bit. And some people just do crazy stuff with chairs, to the point that I found this video, and this guy nailed a chair to the wall and then sat on it. You guys want to see what happens? Because it's awesome. Let's go ahead and check it out. guys will do that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I don't know what happens, but sometimes we just don't think stuff through and we think it's funny. Man, that, that had to hurt like really, really bad. All right, let's talk about the three chairs that we have right here. Chair number one is this, the chair of commitment. Now, who sits in this chair? The kind of person that sits in this chair, you want to take a guess? All right, who sits in that chair? My dad. Your dad? All right, good. Who else? We'll find out in just a second. You know, in junior high, they just went safe. They were just like, Jesus, you know, and it was just always a good answer in church. Anybody else? Who sits in that chair right there? Okay, you, okay. Let's find out. So the kind of people that sit in this chair right here are the ones that are consumed with only one thing, and that is with Jesus. You're consumed with one thing. Your life is only about Jesus, and you're totally committed to Jesus. That's the kind of people that sit in that kind of chair. People like a guy by the name of Polycarp, and you may or may not have heard of him. Polycarp, he was a student of the Apostle John. Everybody knows the Apostle John, right? The guy that wrote the Gospel of John. He was the overseer, Polycarp, of the church in Smyrna, and he heard that soldiers were looking for him. This was when people were persecuted for their faith, and he tried to escape, but he was discovered by a child. So the guards got him, and as the guards came in, he decided he wanted to feed them. So after feeding the guards who captured him, he asked for an hour in prayer, which they gave him. And he prayed with such fervency that his guards said they were sorry that they were the ones who captured him. Nevertheless, he was taken before the governor and condemned to be bound in the marketplace, burned in the marketplace. After his sentence was given, the governor said this to him, Reproach Christ, and I will release you. But this guy, he was committed, and here was his response. Polycarp answered, 86 years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? In the marketplace, he was tied to the stake rather than nailed, as was the usual custom, because he assured them that he would stand immovable in the flames and not fight them. And it was there that Polycarp gave his life, because he was someone that was sitting in the chair of commitment. See, there's another story of a person that 
um, by the name of Nikumakos, and, and the guy, kind of people that sit in this chair are the people that say, I will do everything for Jesus, even if it costs me my life. Now, obviously, most of us, we won't give our lives for Jesus, but maybe some of us will at one point when persecution starts, but that's the kind of people that sit there. So this guy right here, Nicomachus, he was, um, the story goes that he was brought before Optimus, and he was ordered to sacrifice to the pagan idols, and this was his reply. He said, I cannot pay the respect to devils that is due only to the Almighty. Now, he was immediately placed on the rack, and after enduring his torments for only a short time, this young man recanted his faith in Christ. But as soon as he was freed from the wreck, he was seized with great agony, and he fell to the ground and died. And apparently a lot of people were watching this and seeing what seemed to be a terrible judgment. Denisa, a 16-year-old girl who was among the observers, exclaimed, Oh, unhappy wretch, why would you buy a moment's ease at the expense of a miserable eternity? When Optimus heard this, he called to her to himself, and when Denisa confessed that she was a Christian, he had her beheaded on the spot. That's the kind of people that sit in that chair, people that are totally committed. People like David, who says this in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. People in our lifetime would be people like maybe Reinhard Bonnke or William Seymour or Jim Elliott, who gave his life to the Acre Indians. He was going there, and he was testifying to them about Christ, and they killed him for that testimony. People that sit in that chair are fully, fully committed to Jesus. And I wonder whether any of you guys are sitting in that chair tonight. I wonder whether we truly sit in that chair or whether we are actually sitting in a different chair. See, there's something interesting about this chair. If you look at all these chairs, out of all of them, this is the least attractive of the chairs, right? Because it's a stool. And here's the thing about this stool and about not being attractive. See, commitment in our society is not attractive. Nobody wants to commit to anything anymore these days. We don't want to commit to one church. We don't want to commit to one uh, person that we're going to marry. We don't want to commit to being pure. We don't want to commit to anything. We just want to do what we want to do, and if we don't feel like committing doing it, we just don't. And I think it's time for us, young people, to start committing again, committing to actual purity, committing to making sure that we do the right things, that we watch the right things, that we say the right things, because that's what Jesus would want us to do. And if you're actually sitting in that chair, that's what you would be doing. See, the commitment needs to be the commitment to the Word of God. Isn't it sad that in churches today, we are going away from what the Word of God says? And we're aligning our belief system with the world instead of with the Bible? There's something wrong with that, young people. If we are saying we're followers of Christ and we believe in Jesus, then the Word of God is true, and every single thing in the Word of God is true. And that doesn't mean that we can pick and choose which one is right. And then we stick with it. For me, that's what I decided. The word of God is true, period. There's no mistakes in there in a the sense of there's nothing wrong in it. And, and I believe that with all my heart. And if that's the case, then we should be living according to commitment to marriage. How is it that the divorce rate in the church is just as bad as it's outside of the world? How is it that no one is committed? And see, your generation, we have done you a disfavor. My generation and the generation that lived before me because you guys don't even know what commitment really looks like because no one is modeling it anymore. And I want to challenge you guys to be bold and to be fully committed to your faith. Commitment means this, in agreement or a pledge. It means to completely surrender your own agenda and to live to please Him only. 
I came across a story, and I think I've shared this with you guys before, but it kind of bears repeating about this chicken and the pig, and they were going on this walk together, and as they were walking along the road and taking their walk, they saw this beggar on the side of the road, and the chicken was overcome with compassion, as much as a chicken can be overcome with compassion, of course, and he looked at the beggar and said, you know, he's hungry. So he turned to the chicken and said, hey, why don't we make him an egg and bacon sandwich? And the chicken um, said that, and the, and the pig kind of looked over the chicken and said, you know, that's really easy for you to say, because all it takes for you is a contribution. For me, it takes a total commitment, right? Eggs, bacon, dead. So that's the whole thing, that we need total commitment. I think that's what God is looking for. If you're sitting in this chair, guys, you're fully committed. And can I be honest with you guys? Even though this is where the church is supposed to be, that's not where the church is at. Most of the church today sits either here or right there. Speaking of, let's talk about the second chair, the chair of conflict. Who sits on this chair? Well, people that are conflicted within themselves. The lines of sin and holiness used to be very clear, and now they're kind of fuzzy and very blurry. We don't even know what sin is anymore. We just kind of live our lives very distracted and, and our passions are not in line with what the Word of God says. See, Satan will always try to divert your passion. If he can't make you sin or lead you into sin, he'll always try to divert your passion. And for most of us, our passions are not about Jesus, right? They're really about everything else. Listen to the conversations in church sometimes, young people. Listen to your own conversations, even in church. What do we talk about? It would be nice if we talk about Jesus, but we really don't. We talk about Jesus in here, but when you guys go upstairs in the cafe, when you walk outside, do you really talk about Jesus afterwards? Yeah, we talk about TV shows and movies and who we're listening to and what's going on in school and gossip a little bit and stand a little bit, but we don't talk about Jesus. If that's the case, then we're sitting in this chair right here. We're not sitting in the chair of commitment because I can promise you Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus' conversation would be about him because he is and should be everything. Paul said this in Romans 7:15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Isn't that us sometimes? The only difference between us and Paul is that Paul actually is saying, I hate what I do and I don't want to do it, I'm going to change. For us, sometimes we're like, I really like what I do and I don't want to change. I actually really enjoy sitting in the chair of compromise. See, I can tell you and I can show you whether you sit in this chair really quickly. Again, whatever you talk about, whatever you invest time into, whatever you spend money on, that shows me where your heart is at. And for most of us, if we looked at what we do with those things, we would have to admit that we're sitting in that chair right now. See, people that sit in that chair will kind of go like, well, the movie really wasn't that bad. There was only like 15 cuss words in it. That song really isn't so bad. I mean, it wasn't really explicit. I mean, I know he was talking a little bit about sex, and, but it wasn't really that bad. See, people that have that kind of mindset, they sit in that chair right now. Can I be honest with you guys? Jesus wouldn't watch half the movies, probably more than that, that we watch. Jesus wouldn't listen to half the music we listen to. Because Jesus, one of his character attributes is what? Holiness. What do the angels cry in heaven? Holy, holy, holy. And the church is supposed to be holy too. And if you sit over there, that's what you do. But if you sit over here, you had all kinds of junk into your life. It amazes me to see sometimes what people watch in the theaters. And I'm not judging you guys. I'm calling us to a higher standard because we should be sitting right here. And the stuff that we watch, the stuff that we listen to, 
That's crazy. The movies that we watch, some of that, that's soft porn, guys, what we watch. You know, when, when Christians can watch Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, like, you just got to think something is wrong, right? Or you watch movies that have, like, you know, two or three hundred cuss words in it, and th- we think it's okay. Somebody say amen. amen. It's good preaching. It hurts, but it's true, and we shouldn't. All right, let's keep on moving here. I believe that our generation has forgotten how to blush. Jeremiah says this, that he talks about that his generation literally doesn't blush anymore, that they are so full of sin that they don't blush anymore. And I think our generation is just like that. We have so much sin, and we almost, like, are proud of what we do. And we we tell everybody, we should look different from the world, and we only can if we sit in the right chair. Are you sitting in the chair of conflict, young people? Are you sitting in this chair? Are you sitting in that one? If you're sitting here, my hope and prayer is that you will move over to the other one. Now, this chair right here looks a lot nicer. It looks a lot more comfortable, right? And it is more comfortable. And the truth is, I found myself in that chair when I was about your age. I had grown up in church, and I guess I somehow sat on this chair, but I really kind of decided, man, I, I want to sit in this chair of conflict. And I started doing stuff that a lot of you guys are doing. I, I watched what I wanted to watch. I um, you know, I smoked, I drank, all kinds of stuff, and, and really what happened here is there was conflict going on inside of me, but really what happened in a matter of ah, a couple of weeks, month, I kind of slid over just a little bit further all the way into the chair of compromise. And when you're over here, which is a very comfortable chair, you literally don't care anymore. You just do what you want to do. You may still have your face on in church and people think you're okay, but you are just here and you're doing what you want to do. You drink, you sleep around, you do whatever, you fool around with girls, like whatever, I don't care, man. I, it, I'm in share of compromise. And for some of you guys, that's where you are. Some of you guys, you're players. And guess what? Players don't make it into heaven. Can I be honest? The Bible is very clear about that. And I want the best for you guys. I really do. I want you guys to sit in that chair of commitment. I want you to be bold and make a difference. So what happens in this chair? In this chair, anything really goes. And honestly, I was in that chair for quite a while. But something happened. I met Jesus in a way that, and I've told you guys the story numerous times, that everything changed. Where God came in and my life was forever changed. And that is my prayer that you will move from this chair right here all the way to this chair tonight. Where you say, I'm going to be committed, I'm going to be bold, I'm going to live out my faith very, very well. Revelation says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And I love what it says in Revelation. This is John talking, the apostle, the guy that mentored Polycarp. He said this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! He's saying, wake up. Be careful. See, compromise is really comfortable, and we got to be careful. David, who was a guy that said, as the deer pants for water, so my heart longs after you, right? I mean, the guy was sitting in this chair over here. But at one point, he wrote this. In Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, Create in me a pure heart of God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Why would he write that? See, what happened was, he was sitting here, and then he decided to stay home from war. You know, in spring, in the Bible times, people would go to war. It's just a thing to do, apparently, springtime. And he stayed home. He sent his army, and he was in the top of the building, and he saw a woman bathing, and she was naked. And he looked at her, and he wanted her, and he killed her husband, and he slept with her and had a child. And that's when he writes this, Oh, God, create in me a pure heart. Renew his steadfast spirits with me. Because he realized he had slipped all the way down into the chair of compromise. 
The good news is this, young people, that even when you slip down there, you can go back over there. David, later on, was called a man after God's own heart, which is so weird in so many ways, but it makes sense because his heart was, God, I messed up. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Put me back in that chair of commitment. And that, again, is my prayer for you, that if you are in that chair, young person, that you will go right over there. I had a friend um, back in the day that, um, that actually died. And, uh, man, I was sitting in the chair of compromise at that point. And I wonder what he would tell me if he could tell me something right now. He would probably not be happy with the fact that I never told him about Christ. How about you guys? Do you have someone like that in your life that you should be telling and, and you haven't because you're sitting in the wrong chair? See, when you're sitting in that chair, everything is about Jesus. I came across a story about a young lady in Vietnam, and she was a pastor over 63 churches. And there was 10,000 people that were underneath her covering. And at the time of the story, you were not allowed to preach the gospel in her uh, country, and often she would preach um, to people, and people would be there, and they would challenge her, and they would say, hey, tell me and show us really that God exists, that he's really so powerful, as you say and claim he is. And there was a story that happened, apparently, where there was a man who didn't have legs. He just had stubs. And so she prayed for him, and the guy got healed. And it was this big uproar, and, and so eventually she got arrested because she preached the gospel and all that kind of stuff. And she was taken by the police to jail, and in the car, as she was taken to jail, she was laughing and laughing and laughing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was taken to jail, I would not be laughing. I would be screaming. I would be trying to get out of the car. I don't want to go to jail. But she did actually want to go to jail. And the reason for that was this, that in her particular denomination, you had to actually go to jail in order to be fully ordained as a pastor. And so this was her first time in jail, and she was excited that she was going to be finally ordained because that was part of the ordination process. In jail, they, they put people against her, and they actually had some uh, lesbians in the, in, the, uh, in the camp there in, in jail, and they, they said, do with her whatever you want. And so they sent these four or five ladies after her, and the cool thing is at the end of the story, every one of those young ladies got saved. There was another story I came across, and again, these are the people that are sitting in this chair right here. There's another story I came across of a guy that spent over 20 years of his life in prison. He was a pastor, and he didn't go to prison because he murdered someone or he raped someone, he did something terrible. No, he went to prison because he preached the gospel. And apparently, he spent three years in solitary confinement. Everybody knows what solitary confinement is. That means you're all by yourself, nobody else around in a little tiny area. And when he was not in solitary confinement, there was a point where he had this little sweater, and he didn't really have a lot of clothes. They didn't have blankets. They were just sleeping on the floor, and it was a really bitter cold night. And at that night, um, there was the guy in the corner, one of his inmate friends, and he was over there, and, and he was shivering, and, and he had this idea. Maybe I can give him my little sweater that's given me some warmth and some kind of protection and give it to him and say, hey, if you, if you will listen to me talk about Jesus, I will give you my sweater for the night. And so that's exactly what he did, and he shared Christ with him all night long. And then in the morning, you guys already ahead of the story, the guy got saved and gave his life to Jesus. And so this young man had an idea. I can do this every day, every night, and I can really impact the kingdom in prison even right here. So he started pastoring these people and giving out his little area of protection, his little sweater, and he gave it to people and shared Christ with them. At the end of his um, jail time, he came out and someone asked him, so how many people? Did you actually lead to Jesus with that little silly sweater? 
And he was excited and was smiling. He said, man, God gave me a thousand souls with that little thing. With a sweater, guys. I mean, I have a closet full of stuff that I don't even wear. And he's a man who only has one, and he gives it away because he wants to share Christ with them. That's how bold he was. That's how serious he was, and that's how committed he was to his master and his Savior and his Lord. Young people, are we worthy to sit in this chair? Staff members, leaders, interns, are we really worthy to sit in this chair? Or are we sitting over here and over there? And if that's you tonight, guys, again, I challenge you, let's make a commitment to sit in this chair of commitment. Again, I was telling you about my friend that I had, and, and he literally died, and I never shared Christ with him. He was 16 years old. I was 16 as well. And it was um, on, you know, a couple of days, I think even before my birthday, and he died in a car accident. And I think if he were to write me a letter from hell, this is what it would sound like. My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walk with you each day, but you never showed me the way. You knew the Lord in all his glory, but you never told me his great story. That's why my knowledge was really dim. You could have led me close to him. We live blocks apart right here on earth, yet you never told of Christ, Christ's second birth. So now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me lots of things that's true. I called you friend and I trusted you. But now I learned that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fiery fate. We laugh by day and we talk by night, yet you never showed me Christ through light. You let me live and love and die and silently knew I would never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in daily life and I trusted you through fun and strife. Yet as I stand at my eternal end, I can no longer call you friend. Young people, leaders, what chair are you sitting in tonight? Are you sitting in a chair of commitment, of conflict, or of compromise. And is it time tonight to change this chair that you're sitting in? Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move and that you would do what only you can do.